not in the sense of attaching any strings to the recommendations. I think that would be very counterproductive. I think it would be very difficult given how high level the, the directions are in the report. I think the Commonwealth trying to even hold states to account in reporting on those directions would be incredibly difficult. Mm. And as you've said, historically, never ends well. That's right. Yeah, never ends well. So (laughs) let's learn from history and hopefully this is now the opportunity to make that happen. You're with Megan from the Grattan Institute and today we'll be talking all things Gonski 2.0. Monday, the report from the Review to Achieve Educational Excellence in Australian Schools, Gonski 2.0, was released. It comes at a critical time as Australia's educational performance is declining internationally and new challenges emerge in preparing students for their future careers. And following the Council of Australian Government's Education Ministers meeting on Friday, and with new funding agreements between the Commonwealth and states due to be signed this year, the implementation of the Gonski 2.0 recommendations needs careful management. I'm joined today by School Education Fellow Julie Sonneman, who will explain what Gonski 2.0 has found, why it's received a cold reception among some in the industry, and how the implementation of Gonski's findings should be managed. Welcome, Julie. Thanks. To get us started, Julie, can you give us a quick outline of the main findings of Gonski 2.0? Sure. So Gonski 2.0 was a report that was commissioned because the Commonwealth is putting extra money into schools. So it was it was in that context that the Commonwealth wanted some advice about what actually works in schools to guarantee that, you know, its extra money would be used wisely. So the Gonski Review had a really broad remit. Um, it's drawn attention to um, the fact that you know, there is a problem in school education. Our international test results are declining. They have been declining for the last decade um, and that serious reforms are needed. It's a very comprehensive review, so it looks at a whole range of different aspects of school education, looking at um, starting with early childhood, making a number of comments around that and the importance of getting the foundations right in the early years. It looks at um, one of the really key themes is around student learning growth rather than just looking at student achievement at a point in time, um, which is important particularly in terms of how teachers teach because you need to teach kids to the point of need in the classroom. So um, framing um, some of the solutions in that way um, really points to the evidence, you know, really draws on the evidence about how students learn well. They need to be in their um, zone of proximal development in terms of learning and being challenged at their point of need. So that was one of the key recommendations was focus much more on growth rather than achievement and it, and it actually pointed to a number of practical um, and high-level directions of how something like that can be implemented. So it looked at how to build the capacity of the teaching profession by giving teachers more expert career pathways. It looked at the curriculum and how we're actually um, teaching kids, so the focus on uh, general capabilities and um, making them a a far more core part of the curriculum. Um, It looked at... Uh, it suggested a review of senior secondary schooling, particularly at years 11 and 12. So having advocated for really strong foundations in literacy and numeracy in, in primary school, it then recommended focus on general capabilities in secondary, but also opening up the question about, well, what about for kids who are more on vocational career pathways in year 11 and 12? What are their options at the end of secondary? So that's what that review is about. There are a number of new things in the review that are major overhauls. Um, But there's also a lot in the review that 
um, is really just high-level direction setting about reforms in education that have been on the radar for some time at the state government level, and state governments have been working to achieve them for, um, as I said, for a long time, and and they're actually just really hard to implement at scale. So what's Grattan's response to the Gonski recommendations? So a lot of the Gonski recommendations are very high level. It's important to understand the context for the review. So the review was commissioned by the Commonwealth to give advice to the Commonwealth on how its dollars could be spent um, better. The initial terms of reference were very narrow in that regard. Um, And our advice at the time was that the review should be broadened out, um, not to just think about how the Commonwealth's money should be spent well, but how all money in education should be spent well. So from that point of view, it's a great document. It really takes that broad lens and sets a real vision statement for the country. There has been some criticism that the report is just very high level. It doesn't talk about some of the pedagogical practices of teachers in the classroom, which it could have talked much more about in in our view, um, because it's always important to look at what's going to drive the biggest change and those things definitely are the key drivers in education. Um, but I think the f- general focus of the report around what are the broad levers for change and laying those out is is good. I think it is good that it hasn't gone too specific on some of those levers, like it has in some areas but not all, because they are actually the responsibility of state governments. Mm. And, I, and our position very strongly has been that the Commonwealth shouldn't be getting involved and extending its reach a lot in in school education, even though it's really tempting for them to do so, because if you look at the history of when they have tried to do that in the past, it really hasn't worked out well. Um, Often it just results in a lot of red tape, um, because it's very difficult for Canberra to drive reforms, because a lot of them rely on complementary policies at the state government level. And if the state governments actually aren't on board, then it's likely that it's going to result in compliance. And it's very difficult for the Commonwealth to, to independently monitor or verify that. There's obviously a strong um, sort of focus on investing in teacher quality and student outcomes. Is it, is it as simple as investing in teacher quality um, and then student outcomes will lift? Is that the best way to do this? Um, I think yes and no. I think at a high level, yes. Um, focusing on, on teacher, in teaching quality, we know that's where the biggest gains will come. I think there's a tendency sometimes to talk just about the the discrete things that matter for teaching quality. So, you know, there's, there is a lot of evidence now about what are the specific teaching methods that work, for example, like phonics, like metacognitive strategies and whatnot. Um, but simply just rehashing those teaching strategies is not necessarily going to result in change in the classroom. So obviously the big question is how do you get teachers being supported adequately so that they can actually implement and move to some of those more evidence-based practices. And that's the question that's really hard and that obviously goes into system design, what policies do you have in place at scale that actually help schools and teachers to get to where they need to go and that's obviously going to be a range of um, incentives. It's a bit of carrot and stick, you know, it's going to be a range of incentives, support, and also accountability, um, and that can involve professional accountability to the students, not just professional accountability to the department. And this is something I know Grattan has spoken about before and, and uh, reported on before. How important is it for Australia's most talented teachers to have clearer career paths? Uh, how can we stop our best teachers leaving the classroom or, or in fact, the profession? Is it something where we need master expert teachers? Will that make a difference? Master and expert teachers would make a big difference. If you look to the evidence about how do you um, how do you best support teachers to learn and adopt 
more evidence-based based ways of working, then there is evidence that, that says teachers like learning from other teachers. And it's also important to get feedback on your work, to observe others and how they work. And it's not just about understanding the theory in a glossy government brochure, it's actually about having it brought alive to you in the classroom. And so there's a real potential for, for teachers who have that really deep expertise and deep subject-specific content knowledge to teach other teachers. And at the moment, our career structures enable that to some degree, but it's questionable how much um, the top teachers in the school are actually given the time during their day to do that. So even though um, we might have it in our industrial agreements that they're actually supposed to be given 0.3 release time, a lot of those decisions are taken at the school level by school principals and obviously school principals have a lot of pressure on their resources and time. The time release may not always be available to teachers um, to do that. So I think opening up um, the roles of, of the best teachers in our system, getting them to teach others within their schools, getting them to lead subjects across schools, I think is really important. We've, so we released a report in 2016 that actually advocated for expert teachers and master teachers. And a lot of that work was based on high-performing systems. And if you look to Shanghai and Singapore, for example, there's really clear guidance for teachers on pedagogy. And you know, in Australia, we want to maintain that teachers have professional discretion and they can make those decisions locally at the classroom. I think it is ridiculous to, to expect each teacher by themselves to have the time, effort, energy and expertise to be researching what's latest practice, what the evidence base is. I think there needs to be much, you actually need to make that someone's day job mm -hmm. to be doing that to, and to actually have the oversight across many schools to say, how is this lining up with, with, with what's happening every day in classrooms? You know, we've, got, we've now got new research out there at the universities. How are we making sure that that's actually then being implemented at a classroom level? And that's where I think the key is in having master teachers who are subject specific and it's their day job and their role to make sure that those connections between universities and schools are happening in practice. Let's move on to the other side of the report. They've, you've spoken a little bit, there've been some critiques of the report. Are the critics right about its shortfalls? There's been a lot of criticism of the report and I think some of it is valid and others not. I think perhaps one of the biggest criticisms has been that there isn't enough in the report about the teaching methods and the evidence-based teaching methods that work, which are where we will get big improvements in teaching practice and learning outcomes. And as I said before, I don't think that should have been the focus of the report because the difficulty is in the how, but I think that the report still could have articulated that. Um, I think there's been a lot of criticism of the focus on general capabilities and such as critical thinking skills and um, creative creativity and the report has pushed the need to have more of a focus on those skills. But if you actually read between the lines in the report, it's saying that this is actually a really difficult area and teachers don't have a lot of support in how to teach this at the moment, yet we expect them to be developing these skills in the classroom, which is exactly right and deserves a lot more attention. And we've certainly advocated for that. If, if there is ex this expectation, then it's concerning that teachers aren't supported at the moment and there could be a whole bunch of practices in place that aren't necessarily doing that much to achieve those those types of skills is actually really hard. Does the report go into that or is that something that should be left to this to the states do you think? So the report does go into that and I think it's right to raise it as an, at, at a national level because it is something that each state and territory is grappling with and I largely think it's a research question and 
well, as in there is much more that needs to be done at a research level to help teachers in that way in terms of it's still something that we're exploring. It's still a very new area. So exactly how to best teach critical thinking skills, there's no clear answer to that at present. And given that I think the federal government can play a real, really good role in in, uh, in research and evidence and they've announced this new National Evidence Institute, so naturally I think that could be one of the um, first cabs off the rank that this institute could be looking at. So just going back to that, there has been a, a lot of criticism that it's, um, you know, this is leaving behind and not recognising subject-specific knowledge and the basics. I think that's a bit of a beat-up. I think if you actually read the report, it says that general capabilities shouldn't be taught in isolation of subject-specific knowledge. Um, I don't think that was the intention. Um, and I think as Gonsi came out a couple of days later to clarify himself, um, I think one of the other criticisms of the report is that it's just a high-level vision statement and that state governments do a lot of these things already. I think that I think that's, that observation is right. I think it is just a high-level vision statement. Um, my reaction to that would be that I think that's right. I think mm. given the Commonwealth government doesn't run schools, you actually don't want them getting to the business of running schools and requiring states to do certain things um, in terms of attaching strings to the funding. So um, the other real criticism is that the report's um, just very high level and that it's a vision statement. Um, but as I said earlier, I think that's appropriate given that the Commonwealth doesn't run schools. I don't think the Commonwealth should be getting into prescriptive conditions on how to implement some of the high level directions that it's announced. A lot of those directions are already in place at the state government level and they have their own programs in place to achieve them. I think some of the reaction from state governments has been we already do a lot of what's in the, in the report and I think, yes, at one level they have already identified a lot of these high-level directions but if you were to actually genuinely ask are you actually delivering on all of those things in the classroom, I think that's a, it's a really difficult task and I think state governments also need to be honest with themselves and use this as, as an opportunity to look at the extent to which they are actually achieving on some of those higher level directions and if there can be improvements to what they're doing. Bit of self-reflection. Bit of self-reflection. <laughs> Never goes astray. <laughs> uh, how difficult in reality will it be to actually implement these recommendations? What's, what's needed for success? So there's a lot in the Gonski report. Um, if you take, there's a couple of spe specific recommendations that can be implemented in there that are around what can be done nationally with the federal government involvement and state government involvement. And um, those are the National Research Evidence Institute and the teaching tools. And I think both of those recommendations require good collaboration with the states so that both of those um, things are not duplicating what's already happening. I think in terms of the other recommendations, a lot of those will need to be driven at the state government level. Um, as I said before, a lot of state governments are already driving towards them. So I think if you're talking about what will be critical to success, I'd say firstly the Commonwealth government shouldn't be imposing strings on state governments in those areas. I think, as I, um, as I said earlier, that's been tried in the past and often is quite counterproductive, often just leads to compliance and, um, and a lot of ticking the boxes. So I think really critical to success is, is the Commonwealth recognising the roles of the, of the state, states and territory governments in those areas and really just prioritising where it can act and sticking to some of those um, specific recommendations that it's, it's outlined. Mm. So as I mentioned in my intro, the, the Education COAG did meet on Friday and uh, looks like discussions are still ongoing. Now, 
just just based on what you've you've just said, Grattan's stance on Commonwealth involvement obviously is firmly in the less is more camp. How, how likely is it that that's going to be the case? It's really hard to tell at this point. I think if you look at the Gonski report, it does read as a vision statement, so that's promising. It does only identify a couple of areas where there could be federal involvement, which is promising, but really I think the um, that will only tell as the negotiations play out. You mentioned the critiques of the report. Um, you know, people have said that it's too high level potentially, but are there any big elements that are missing from the report? One element that has gotten a lot of attention from and from upset stakeholders is the fact that the report didn't cover early childhood ed- education mm-hmm. and that was never in the terms of reference for the review team so they actually went a little bit further and did include some commentary on early childhood education but obviously that's an area that requires much further review and I think the Commonwealth really does need to clarify what its position is mm-hmm. in that area because there are outstanding funding agreements that have some uncertainty long term So, I mean, that's obviously a a huge area. So I think the other big element that was missing was around just articulating the end goal about what type of teaching practice we want to see in the classroom and articulating some of the evidence-based teaching methods, which is what the report has received quite a bit of criticism for not articulating. Mm -hmm. I think articulating that is helpful because until you understand what actually needs to change in the classroom, then it's difficult to have those broader conversations around the types of system support that's needed to actually implement it. So where to from here then, Julie? Should the Commonwealth use the recommendations to inform current funding agreements with states that are being negotiated? No, (laughs) definitely not. (laughs) So um, not in the sense of attaching any strings to the recommendations. I think that would be very counterproductive. I think it would be very difficult given how high level the the directions are in the report. I think the Commonwealth trying to even hold states to account in reporting on those directions would be incredibly difficult. Mm. And as you've said, historically, never ends well. That's right. Yeah, never ends well. So (laughs) let's learn from history and hopefully this is now the opportunity to make that happen. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me, Julie. These next few months will be a critical time for School Education Australia and hopefully we will see some strong steps in the right direction with these new funding agreements and the implementation of Gonski 2.0. As always, you can find all of Grattan's news, research and events by subscribing to our Twitter at Grattan Inst or on Facebook, Grattan Institute. You can also head over to our website, grattan.edu.au, where you can find the report we've previously mentioned um, from 2016, as well as a podcast on that report. And of course, if you've enjoyed this podcast, then help others to find it by heading over to iTunes and giving us a rating or review. Thanks for listening. Grattan Institute is uniquely positioned to bring an independent, rigorous and practical lens to big issues in public policy with the capacity to talk honestly to both sides of politics. We maintain this unique position through the generosity of the public and our affiliate companies. If you would like to find out more about contributing to our continued independence, head to our website to donate, grattan.edu. This has been a Grattan Institute podcast. If you want to hear more, subscribe to our podcasts on iTunes.